you've got it. Let me finally do priest of chorus for us. Look at that, guys. We're putting a song together. And then, um, if you want to have Waymaker handy, we're going to roll right into that out of this. Um, and uh, I'll show you how that is. You're basically going to ride on the F. So the pre chorus there goes C, O, how he loves us so, A minor, how he loves us. Youth, you guys are dismissed. All right, and then let's pray. Dear Heavenly Fa Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for um, this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with one another, to worship you with each other, um, and to, to hear more from your word and what you would have for us this morning. Lord, we just invite your presence here. We invite you to be here in the midst of us um, and just to guide our steps today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Debron. So my name's John, and uh, today as we're diving into part two of the series on, on the church, we've been looking at, uh, last week we started this series called Gather, and we've been saying, let's, let's redefine what the church is, because... The American church for so long has been, you could say, stuck in so many different ways. And, and we've been saying, what does it look like if we go back to Jesus' intention for the church? And so this is um, this new series. Today I'm going to tackle something that is not a normal thing to tackle. And so I just want to give you the preface. Some of you guys are going to be like, yes, amen. And others are like, oh, John, are you serious? Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll get there, um, but part two, it's called Gathering Together, Who Knew? But before I dive in to this, I do want to say that for how many people have been trained with our five-step prayer model? If you have been trained, gone through training for that, okay, so um, next Sunday from four to seven o'clock, for those of you that have already been trained that want a refresher, and actually, we're, we're kind of rebooting that whole ministry. And so if you're, if, if, you can, if you're already on the prayer team, we'd love for you to make it again and hang out with us. Um, and what we'll do is we will feed you some great food. We will do some, we'll go through the training together. And then we're going to practice the training. And we're going to give you some kind of new, uh, like, how does this look in this space here? And uh, so if, if you've already been trained, we want, would love for you to go. If you can't make it to this next training next weekend, you could go to the following one. But we want as many people kind of there as possible that have already been trained. If you haven't been trained, our five-step prayer model gives people a, a way to pray not only at church for one another, but when you're at Albertsons or Starbucks or at your work, the five-step prayer model will give you a model to do it anywhere. And you know what? Very on a regular basis, I feel like God's calling me 
as I meet somebody and we have a little, like I'm at Costco and I say hi and there's, for some reason there's, we're talking on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit's like, why don't you pray for them? And then it's up to me whether I step into that. And so the question is, do you feel equipped to partner with God's Spirit in that moment? And so because I've gone through this prayer team training, I'm like, yes, of course. But to be really honest, if I, would, if I pulled you and asked your heart, would you be ready in any given moment to pray for somebody's need out in the public? Most of us would say, <gasps> and then if you ask, could you do that in the church, you might go, <gasps> well, we want to equip you to do that. So if you haven't been through the training, we'd love for you to join us next Sunday from 4 to 7. Like I said, we'll feed you. If you've got kids, we'll watch your kids, and we'll go through this training together. It's going to be great. Um, so I want to encourage you to try to make that if you can. Okay. Um, so gathering together. Who knew? Four associates were playing around a golf on Sunday morning. They all went to church together. They worked in the same business uh, area. They worked at different, different uh, places, but they all worked in the same area of town. And so they went golfing one morning on Sunday morning. They were all playing hooky with church. And um, the issue is they, they got out there, and for some reason it was just a bad round of golf for all four of them. It was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, it, just, it was just horrible. They couldn't hit the ball right. Nothing was coming. Their game wasn't coming together at all. And then on top of that, it began to rain halfway through. And so the men return to the clubhouse, and they're saying, well, at least it's redeemable because we can eat together in the clubhouse. But just as they're walking up to the clubhouse, lightning strikes the, the telephone wire, or the electrical wires, power goes out, they close down the restaurant. And as they're under this kind of umbrella, talking about how horrible their game was, they look at each other, and they're ready to dash to their cars because it's still raining, and Dave makes this remark to the, the other three guys. We could have just as well gone to church today. Now, he said that because it was such a horrible round of golf, right? We might as well just have gone to church. And then Peter disagreed. He said, oh, I couldn't have gone to church anyway. My wife's sick in bed this morning. The reason why that's funny is because he could go golfing, but he wouldn't dare to go to church when his wife was sick, but he could go golfing. So this morning, <laughs> this morning I want to talk about why do we gather? Like, why do we do this thing? Why do we gather here every Sunday? Why do we meet on Sunday mornings? Um, why can't I just do church um, bedside Baptist? Like, why can't I do that thing by myself? Why can't I just sleep in? Um, why do we gather um, as a church on Sunday morning? And I want to tackle that. And I know it seems self-serving as a pastor to talk about uh, the spiritual discipline of church attendance, but I want to dive in there this morning, okay? Because I think there's something very special and unique that God has for his church as we gather. Um, and if you want to know a little bit about my history, I remember I was 14 years old, 
and I got punished because I lied to my mom and dad and I got caught. And my punishment was I couldn't go to church. And I remember thinking, are you kidding me? The church is where they're teaching me not to lie. And I told this to my mom and dad. <laughs> you should let me go to church. And, but there was this deep desire as a child, as a 14-year-old boy, I wanted to go to church. I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to be there, okay? And to be really honest, over the years, that, that kind of stayed with me from a young age. Um, even as I got older, I remember thinking, you know, I'm on vacation, we're traveling across the country, and I'm like looking online, what's the nearest church <laughs> to where we are this morning as we're driving through? And um, so I've always loved to go to church. And now the, every once in a while, there's this little thing that whispers in my ear, like, just take a break, don't go, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what does it mean that we wake up um, and we, we, we get dressed and we come to this thing called church. P did you know that people that go to church are happier and healthier than those that don't, statistically? Now, like I said, it sounds self-serving as a pastor, but this is based off of 30 years of solid research by, like, non-Christians, like, secular researchers say that one of the healthiest things you could do is go to church. Um, unhappy people do go to church, and they are less unhappy for it. They are. Do you know that marriages last longer and are more fulfilling for churchgoers? Regular church attenders, they sleep better. These are true stats. Secular researchers have found this, okay? They sleep better. Regular church attenders sleep better. They have fewer chronic ailments. They live longer, and they experience higher life satisfaction. Oh, and they have stronger faith. And they're more resilient in the middle of life's problems. And life's actually more meaningful to them than people that have faith that don't go to church. Uh, and you, sometimes I always wonder, like, how did the church get to where we were? And one of the things that happened in American culture back in the 1950s, after our post-war our post president, Eisenhower, said, we have to fight this new thing together as a country. It's called communism. And if we want to be good Americans, then go to church. And so what happened was the doors of the church were open and all these people kind of flood in. We want to fight this new threat called communism. And if you want to rise in the ranks of whether it be Exxon or Ford, well, guess what? Church was the place to be seen. And you wanted to mingle with people at the church. But the air of people going to church for that reason is gone. And it's been gone for a, a long time now. And the w value of weekly church attendance is now vastly underestimated despite all of the research that's out there. So today, our main text is going to be from the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is written from a, it's written to a community of G Jewish believers under powerful social pressure to stop following Jesus 
by neglecting the habit of going to this thing called ecclesia together, by going to church together. They, the Hebrews were actually, they were making a habit of not going to church together. Now, the historical context is this of Hebrews. There's increasing persecution from the Roman Empire that they could avoid by reverting to a form of religion that did not include Jesus. So they could go back to Judaism, forget Jesus, go back to Judaism, and the empire, the Roman Empire, was okay with that. And there's one main reason why, is because the Jesus followers would say, Jesus is Lord, and if Jesus was Lord, that was proclaiming that Caesar is not Lord. And so the Roman Empire saw these new Christians as threats. And so they're under this intense pressure to stop gathering together. Now I want you to know that we're under a completely different kind of social pressure today to stop going to church. It's completely different, but yet there's so many similarities. Um, the empire here says to us, stay up late. Sleep in on Sunday mornings. The stores are open, and we haven't gone shopping this week, so we need to go shopping. Or people are working longer hours, so maybe we should work on Sunday morning. Or there's sports teams, soccer teams, and the like, right? There's all this stuff. Um, some cities even have, like, farmer's markets that are during the exact hours of where most people go to church, and they they say, well, this is, this is the, you know, the alternative. This is what we'd like you to do as a community. So we are, the empire here is completely different, but it's so similar. It's saying, here's all the other options. Just sleep in week after week. It's okay. But the words apply to us from Hebrews 10.23. So here is that text. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That hope was Jesus and God's inbreaking rule and reign to set everything right. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do you know that we need to be spur stir spurred on? We need to be stirred up. We need to be spurred on because we tend to get lazy and complacent because we live in a world that lacks love and has abundance of needs. And so all of a sudden, like, you know what? We, one of the reasons why we gather is to spur each other on. Let's go. We can do this. We can do this together. So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So they were in the habit at this point. Some were in the habit of not gathering together, but encouraging one another. You know, when we gather together, if you've ever been in church where you don't feel encouraged, they've, kind of, they've gone the wrong direction. I want you to know, when we gather together, you should feel encouraged to go do this stuff, to be God's hands and feet to embrace God's grace in your life. We should be encouraged. We're encouraging one another in God's love. 
what I mean, in church should be an encouraging place. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. You know, so often, so often, you know, following Jesus can be difficult. Sometimes I'm thinking, it would be easier if I didn't do some follow Jesus here and here and here. But guess what? We gather together to say, no, you can do this, John. I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. You need each other's encouragement to follow Jesus. That's what we're doing together. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Because there are powerful spiritual realities as we gather together. Powerful spiritual realities. And I want to go through a couple of those powerful spiritual realities as we gather together. So Jesus said this, he who does not gather with me scatters. He who does not gather with me scatters. Because this is the messianic task to gather the scattered exiles of Israel and gather the scattered nations like a hen gathers her chicks underneath her wings. And guys, this was Jesus' mission, and he showed us this. Do you know that um, Jesus gathering the 12 tribes of Israel together was one of his, his main um, tasks when he came to this earth? And he, even you look at the 12 disciples, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel coming together. Jesus was constantly gathering Guess what? That's, what? that's one of the reasons. It's the messianic task is to gather people together. Like we gather here on Sunday morning. It was one of Jesus' things he did. When we gather, we're following Jesus by enacting this messianic mission and learning how to be dedicated disciples of Jesus. Gathering together prepares us for the big day that they talk about here. Now notice his motivation appeal even more as you see the day approaching. The day is referring to the day when God's going to set all things right, the day of resolution, when justice will prevail with or without us, the day when refusal to forgive our neighbor or welcome the guest will exclude us, not them, from the presence of God. That day is rushing towards us, guys. That day is rushing towards us, and gathering together like this, you could say, is a dress rehearsal for that day. God, doing this, prepares us for what is to come, and what, it, what God has next for us. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know that the future changed directions? We are not moving towards the future. The future is rushing towards us. And the resurrection unleashed the future rushing towards us so we can start a living according to the new creation today. We don't have to wait to the future. We can start doing that stuff today. You guys, in the end, grace wins. So guess what? Be gracious now, even when it doesn't look like a winning proposition for the church. But we get to live into that new creation now. The future's rushing towards us. Let's live into that. Love wins, so let love win now in our lives. Forgiveness wins, so forgive now. So yes, it's the lamest sounding spiritual habit of all time, church attendance, but it's rooted in some spiritual realities 
that sometimes we forget week after week. And the first one is that, that God is gathering a church. It's part of his messianic mission. It's part of what God has always done and continues to do. The second one is this. God is gathering a family, not a collection of individuals. God's gathering a family, not a whole bunch of individuals. Now, God sees us as members of a family, a body first, and it's a huge difference in perspective. We see ourselves in Western culture as an individual first and the individual gathering at the church, but God sees us completely different. And actually, I really appreciate, um, as John has led the last two weeks, that he's been encouraging us, because we always tend to sing I, I, in our worship songs, right? And I'm, and I'm not, we're not giving a critique of that, right? We're simply saying it is really about us and we as we gather together. There's something unique about that and special about God is gathering a family. And that family is you and I together. Together. Um, Jenna Thompson, uh, most of you may have remember her name. She has 12 Olympic medals in her name, and eight of them are gold. Eight of them are gold. Now, did you know that all eight of her gold medals were won in team swimming, not individual? And her biggest critique has been, well, she's not really one of the great Olympians because she did it, you know, she didn't do it by herself like Michael Phelps. She did it in the t context of a team. All of her gold, all eight are in individual, not individual swim events, but they're in the context of a team. And I think Jenna's accomplishments in our ego-driven culture is really refreshing. Her success came in the context of a team. Because this is how the church should work. Our true stardom occurs when we participate as part of a winning team, God's team. And there's no room for superstars or mega celebrities that do it on their own. Um, and actually, this is one of the huge parts of why being part of the vineyard is actually, I, I feel like it's, it's one of the healthiest uh, places out there because we don't think that there should be superstars in the church. Um, so the founder of the vineyard, his name was John Wimber, and when John came onto the scenes in the evangelical church, he was, like, everybody knew him in the early 80s. Like, if you didn't, and John was the thing, and he would do these conferences, and John got tired of the church elevating him, putting him on a pedestal. So he's constantly looking for ways to lower himself and to raise other people up. Because he was tired. He didn't think the church should be run by superstars. He thought the church was the church, was a group of people gathering together, and he had a voice, but that other people's voices should be heard as well. And one of, a good friend of mine, actually, he's going to come and do a Holy Spirit night with our church next month. His name's Steve Nicholson. Well, Steve Nicholson was in Chicago at the time, and um, so Steve has been on the National Vineyard Board for the last 20 years, but um, Steve was in Chicago, 
and John Wimber was doing this massive conference with tens of thousands of people gathered together to hear John. So John got up to the microphone, he shares a little bit, and then he said, well, well let's, let's sing another song. So the worship team's singing the song. And John Wimber goes and he's talking to Steve kind of behind the scenes over here. And he says, hey, hey Steve, do you, do you know the five-step prayer model? And Steve said, oh, yeah, I know the five-step prayer model. Do you think you could teach that? He's, Steve said, sure. Now, everybody went to this conference to see and hear John and have John pray over them. And John Wimber is saying, everybody wants to put me up on, to think I'm a star. And I, all he wanted to do was let everybody else play in the game. And so he took Steve that was not known at all, and he starts teaching the five-step prayer model at this conference, and everybody's like, where's John? We want John. And then at the end, after, John's, after Steve's done teaching, they went, Steve and John started talking again, and they said, you know, John said to Steve, what do you think we should do next? I don't know. John Wimber knew what to do next, okay? He had been used to doing ministry time for years. He had been used to saying, Holy Spirit, come. And the Spirit of God would visit in such a unique way. So Steve was over here saying, you know, I don't know what to do. He really did know what to do. And he said, what do you think we should do, Steve? And Steve said, well, I think we should pray for this. And he said, go do that. I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go back to the hotel. You run ministry time. Everybody was there to hear and see John Wimber. And John Wimber said, nope, here you go. No superstars. We are a family. We are a group. It's about us, not me, not I. Everybody gets to play in the game. And that's been our mantra ever since. Everybody gets to do ministry, not just one or two people that are, that are up, that are elevated. No way. So I have a question. What happens when you focus on a single aspect of the body, a single part of the body. So when you focus on just the mouth, doesn't it look a little bit odd after a while? You focus on the mouth, and you don't see it in the context of the faith, it, face. It begins to look strange, absurd, even grotesque. When we focus on just one aspect it's not what it should be, right? Just the nose by itself, without the context of the body, it looks distorted. Um, here's the ear. It doesn't look right, right? It, there's something about that needs to be in the context of the larger body. Um, every once in a while, my kids and I will play this game where, uh, like, I'll be lying on the ground, and they look at my head upside down, and so... Where your forehead is, is your chin. Have you ever done that with your kids? And so you'd start to talk, and it, we just start to laugh because it looks weird. It doesn't look right. It's, it's wrong. It's, things are out of context. God sees us as a community, not an individual, okay? And we have to remember that. That's one of the reasons why we gather together is because God sees not just John Maurer or or you, but like us together. It's about us being a family 
together. God sees us as a community, a body with many members, and the members are meaningless, or you could say even absurd, without the body, without each other. And so I don't want to go into 1 Corinthians 12, that whole text, but 12.12. It talks about the body parts, and it, it's not an individual thing. It's not an individual sport. It's an us thing. It's about all of us. We are the body together, okay? So get a load of this. Here, I actually, I love this. This is really interesting. So in Psalm 90.10, here's what it says. It says, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have strength. And the Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the wording here, it's used, the, it, it says it is 70 years. It's not, it might be 70 years. And so it's like, huh, the length of our day is 70 years or 80 if we have strength. Um, and it's an odd perspective from the 5th century when the Psalms were written. Do you know why? Because the life expectancy for men was about 40 years old, and the life expectancy for women was about 30. A lucky few made it to 70, yet alone 80. Now, why is the psalmist able to say this? He's able to say this because some made it, therefore all made it. If some of us made it there, he was saying, he's saying, Guess what? Because it, it was an us thing. It wasn't about them as an individual. If one made it, we all made it. Does it make sense? He's talking about we instead of I. And this is really hard because our culture is all about I and me. The psalmist felt that if some made it, we all made it. Because he saw himself as God sees us as members of a body. You guys, we're communal beings. All the tasks in the New Testament, like rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, love your neighbor's self, they all have an underlying reality that we're connected, part of a family. We can't do that without a family. Because family gatherings go better when everybody joins. Have you noticed that? Have you ever been to, like, a birthday party where 90% of the people aren't singing happy birthday? I have not. But I would imagine, so let's say we have 20 people, and if two people are singing happy birthday, and 18 people aren't singing happy birthday, it would be a miserable party. Everybody would say, this is not fun. You're not pulling your weight. You're not helping out, right? It's a family. It's about us. It's a we thing. An absolute requirement of functional families is about everybody chipping in, everybody being a part. So here's my last point this morning, and this is the last one. They're, like I said, these are powerful spiritual realities at work that we normally don't think about. And here's the last one, that God is present when we gather in a way that God isn't when we don't. Let me say it one more time. God is present when we gather in a way that God isn't when we don't. And Matthew 18, 20 says, there's, uh, says that wherever two or three come together in my name, I am with them. I'm present. I'm there. Wherever two or three are gathered. Um, 
So let me tell you, this is my last story this morning, then we're going to hit some practical tips. But um, when I was, I, I grew up in Michigan, and I had some friends that lived in Marquette, Michigan. And there was a church there, and this was from their home church, and I heard it firsthand from the missionary. But there was a missionary working in Africa, and when he was working in Africa, um, he worked in this remote village, and every two weeks, he would take his bike, drive down this pathway to this small town, but it took him two days to get there. So he had to spend a night in the bush, and then he would continue on. And so he went to the city to buy medical supplies, and, um, he, he, and he took out cash from kind of like an ATM type thing at the time. And so he had cash and these medical supplies on him. But it just so happened that he had helped somebody that he met on that, uh, in the city. And as this guy jumped back, as this missionary jumped on his bike to go back to his village, this group followed him that he had helped. Uh, he had helped their medic, helped them kind of get fixed back up and uh, with some sickness issues. So um, this, he, this guy took four friends with, so there's five of them following this missionary down this pathway. Their intention was to kill the man, kill this missionary, steal the money, and the medical supplies. Okay, that was their intention. So they're following this missionary. He doesn't realize that they're even following him. Um, and this guy camps out at night because he can't go any farther. It's dark, and he's on this bike. So he's there. He makes a fire, and he finds out he's praying, but he hears people off in the distance, and he's just praying, and he's praying and praying, and these people never touch him. And he's like, that is so weird. Like, he, he literally felt like this fear fear of his life. He was worried that, that something was going to happen. But they, they, always, they stayed at a distance. And then the next day he woke up and went to his town. And um, he didn't find out this till much later. But um, he went there and he was chatting with the guy that was leading that group of four other guys that planned to kill him. Eventually that guy gave his life to Jesus and and told the missionary, we were planning on killing you. And I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the missionary's like, thank you for not killing me. And, and this guy said, we were going to kill you, but you had, I don't know how you did it, but you had 26 warriors with you that night around the fire. And we were wondering where they came from. And the missionary's like, nope, there was nobody with me that night. And the man insisted, he's like, no, we seriously, my, my other four friends, we all counted you, 26 guys with you. And so he's like, sorry, there was nobody else with me that night. So he went to his home church in Marquette, Michigan, and shared the story. And you know what had happened that same night? There was one guy that was going to go golfing. And as he's getting ready to golfing, he had this internal thing that said, we have to pray for this missionary overseas in Africa. Let's pray for him. So they, he, he had such a strong impression that he called and texted all the men in the men's ministry. 
And so that night, in the auditorium of the church, 26 men gathered together to pray for that missionary. And somehow, across the globe, these other men saw in the spirit realm what was happening back in Marquette, Michigan. And they didn't touch them. They, when we gather, God shows up. When we gather together, God is present when we gather in a way that God isn't when we don't. Okay? The New Testament word translated church is a word called ecclesia, and it refers to citizens of a town called out to the public square to conduct civil business. Those called out and gathered are the church. That's the ecclesia. And when we come together, we become ecclesia. It's not the building, which we talked about last week. It's the act of gathering that makes us ecclesia. And I want you to know very clearly, you are not ecclesia by yourself. You are not ecclesia by yourself. You are not the church by yourself. The ecclesia is formed when we gather together. Okay? So when we gather, God shows up. Ten was a quorum for synagogue business 2,000 years ago, but Jesus' communities were small at first, so a quorum was two or three. God's here. Where, John? We can't see him with the naked eye. If we could, he wouldn't need to say where two or three are gathered. I am there. I am present. It would be self-evident. But God's presence is not self-evident, it's faith-evident, right? We see him with the eyes of faith, which confers the conviction of things not seen. Because faith is a perspective, it's a way of seeing. When we come to church, sitting in the critic's chair, we tend to miss the invisible presence. And this is, I, I just want to mention this for a minute, because I don't know if you've ever been to church and you put the critic's hat on, um, many times you'll miss what God has for you that morning. Um, you go to church with a chip on your shoulder, the guy handing you the communicator, as you come in, he doesn't smile real big at you, and you're like, oh, they're not so nice at this church. Or somebody passed you in the courtyard, and you know them, and they should say, hey, hi, I love you, and they kind of, they're busy, and they take off, they don't see you, and you think, what a cold place this is. And then the person drags out the announcements. And then the, the, whoever's teaching teaches a super long sermon like this morning. And <laughs> the songs that we sing aren't the ones that you would have selected. And what it does is it creates a negative feedback loop. And our critical posture cloaks God's presence. And our posture prevents us from perceiving God's living presence with us. But faith in the promise of God's presence as we gather leads us to experiencing God's presence. Faith that God is with us. So let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, the next time we gather together as an ecclesia, sit next to somebody rather than an empty seat. Um, if it's somebody you don't know, 
even better, it's an act of faith to sit next to someone you don't know. It's a way of saying, I'm here to worship God who makes friends out of strangers. So this one's a super low bar, okay? Like practical tips. What if we just sat next to each other? What if we just sat next to each other? Like sit next to somebody, and next week you can say, Pastor John said I had to, <laughs> right? <laughs> who are, uh, what's your name? Um, here's what it does. It says let's, let's do this kingdom thing. Let's, it's about us, not an individual. I'm not here to worship by myself. It's us. It's we, okay? Number two, make it. And this is, you guys, I'm trying not to make this sermon self-serving as, your, as a pastor. Um, but I do want you to know, like, there's something really important about this. Make attending the ecclesia, the church gathering together, make it a priority in, in your life. When the empire of this world is calling your name, stand firm until the very end. Don't give up meeting together. You will be better for it. God is concerned about the long-term trajectory of your life. So come together, worship together. Okay? And, and we're not legalistic here. You know, like there's space for you to not be here. But I want you to know, trajectory, like each one of us are on a trajectory. And if you could just say, you know what, I'm going to, I just, I'm, let's get there weekly. God will do something with that, okay? So let's use grace for each other, but realize that gathering together is just really, really important. And number three, when you have the critic's heart, you miss the whole experience. And I want to ask that every single person that has a tendency to look toward the church with a critical eye, if you could just take off that hat, you will experience God's presence in a whole new way. Your focus cannot be on the same things, on things that could be different in your opinion. This creates a negative feedback loop, and it cloaks God's presence, which only confirms your criticism. This prevents us from perceiving God's living presence. Do not worry about what you can't control. Leave the criticism at the door and enjoy your family. Let's just enjoy our family as we gather together. It's a big deal. Okay? So we're going to jump into this last song. And um, if you guys could stand with me. As we sing this last song together, I want to encourage you to do one thing. And if you don't mind, just... Close your eyes just for a moment. And if you could just imagine with me the garden of your heart, just for a moment. And as you're in the garden of your heart, you, I encourage you to just, in your mind's eye, take the hand of Jesus. And let's walk through the garden of your heart. And as you're there, you're seeing a waterfall, and it's beautiful, and there's plants all around and butterflies and it's a gorgeous scene and you're there with hand in hand with Jesus and now ask Jesus what he wants to show you about the ecclesia and gathering together today. So it, where you are in the garden of your heart, your life, your soul, Take the hand of Jesus and ask Jesus to show you what Jesus is trying to tell you about the ecclesia over this next song. Okay? So let's sing this song together. And um, 